0: Hey guys, welcome to Basic. Woo! Awesome. Well, my name is Sarah Rocco. Wow. <laughs> and I'm on staff with Nazareth Lutheran Church. Woo! Okay, there we go. And I'm on part of the Basic team here. And I'm excited to share the evening with you. And I just want to give the final and last shout out to all the high schoolers that are here with us tonight from Big House. Woohoo! That's awesome. So if you're joining us this evening, you may or may not have brought a Bible with you. So if you have your Bible, actually go ahead and whip those out. And if you didn't bring a Bible with you, no worries. Go ahead and give your little hand a raise. And our hospitality team is walking around and handing some Bibles out for you tonight. So we're going to be marking it up tonight. So it would be really great if you had a Bible And then maybe if you have a Bible, maybe you forgot a pen. So if you need a pen or pencil, also raise your hand because people on our hospitality team will be bringing those around to you. So while our team is kind of passing some things around, I just thought it was pretty natural to tell you more about myself. So like I said, uh, my name is Sarah, and I've been on staff for three years with our partner churches. And I brought a picture of my family Because I think that's the natural thing that people do when they tell more about themselves. So this is my fam-bam. On the farthest side is my parents, uh, John and Deb. They're pretty sweet. They still live in Fort Dodge, where I'm originally from. So they, yeah, yeah, go Dodgers. (laughs) Woo! But they come over every now and again and help me work on some house projects. And then the folks in the middle are actually my brother and sister-in-law, Jacob and Steph. So they got married last September, and they live in Sioux City now. Sioux City people? Okay, one. Got it. (laughs) Cool. You and I recruit that way. But they're in Sioux City, and they both actually work for the 185th Air Force Air Guard. So they travel a lot. My brother just got back from Japan and Hawaii this week. I don't don't really know if I'm supposed to share that kind of stuff, but... It's cool. And the little guy in the middle, not the big one, but the little one, is my nephew. His name is Baby John. Really just John, but we call him Baby John. And actually, this is from last summer, so he is a year and two months old now, so he's a lot bigger. And my brother just sent me a video like two weeks ago of him walking, so super exciting stuff. And they are actually patiently awaiting arrival of a baby in June. So I'm going to have a niece. So if you know anything about me, I love my uh, nephew, so I imagine that I'll love my niece just as much. So, and there's me, but I'm here, so there's that. So it looks like everyone's kind of got some Bibles and some pens, so I'm going to go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together tonight. We thank you for the people that are in this room, God. And we thank you for the words that you give to us on these pages in this book, in this Bible, that reveal to us more about who you are and who you want us to be. So, God, I pray that these words would transform our hearts and minds tonight. In your heavenly name we pray. Amen. So, we're in our second week of the Mark It Up series, uh, and tonight we're going to be in Mark chapter 10. So, if you're familiar with the Gospel, it goes Matthew and then Mark. So Mark is the second book that we're going to be in tonight, and like I said, we're going to be in chapter 10. And over the past couple of weeks, I really kind of realized how like lengthy Mark 10 is, um, meaning that there's just a lot of stories that happen in this short amount of time. And a lot of these stories are actually stories that are pretty popular, uh, like Sunday school stories. So a story that happens right in the first part of Mark is when they talk about childlike faith, how children believe in Jesus and how uh, adults or the disciples could really learn from kids who love Jesus. And then there's a story about a rich man who wants to follow Jesus but doesn't want to give away any of his wealth. And he says, Jesus, what can I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, sell everything and follow me. And he doesn't do it. So While those stories may be familiar to you, um, and maybe you've heard them before, we're not really going to be there tonight. We're actually going to be in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 32 through 45. And in these 13 verses, we're going to be looking at the way that Jesus tells his disciples about his death. We're going to read some pretty bold statements that Jesus hears from his disciples, And we're going to read about the way that Jesus encourages his followers to live. So if you have your Bibles and you already have them open, that's super great. Um, But before we kind of get there tonight, I've got some questions here on the slide. Oh, awesome. Okay, great. So like I said, we're going to be marking it up tonight. This is where we're going to be. And these are the things that I want you to pay attention to as I'm reading out loud tonight, okay? So the scene. So whether you like circle or highlight, underline Whatever you're comfortable with, go ahead and do that as I'm reading. But I want you to identify the scene, right? What's being described? What's happening? What is going on in these 13 verses? And then I want you to circle the first question, the first, that Jesus asks to his disciples. And finally, I want you to circle um, how Jesus tells his followers to live their life right at the end of the verse. Got it? You guys feel good about that? I'll leave that up there so you guys can follow along if you need to. So Mark, chapter 10, starting in verse 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them of what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. And three days later he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, We want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. And they replied, Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink, rebaptized baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? You can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink, and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So there's a lot that happens in there. And so tonight, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to break off, maybe partner up with someone next to you, maybe turn around and get to know someone new behind you. But I actually want you to go through these questions, these ideas, talking about the scene, what's happening, what's going on, right? The first question and what Jesus says at the end of this passage with a friend. Okay? We feel comfortable about that? Share your ideas with one another. We're gonna hear a thunderous roar of conversation, and then I'm gonna bring us back to the tap, okay? Sound good? I believe in us, all right? Extroverts, you can meet new people tonight. <laughs> Introvert, wait. Uh, introverts can meet new people. Extroverts, don't scare them. Ready, break. <laughs> <laughs> Forward. I love the thunderous conversation. I love also that the guys are just chilling right in the middle, group of four right there. I applaud you for getting out of your seats. So we're going to just do a little popcorn here. So just shout out maybe what your group or your partner or whatever you with you talked about. But I want to hear about the scene. Where, where are they going? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Oh my gosh, this is great. Okay, good. So who is going there? Who's going there? Jesus and his disciples, awesome. And what are they doing? They're talking. Oh, awesome. You guys nailed it. Cool. So, they're going to Jerusalem. Jesus and his disciples, and they're talking. Awesome. So, a couple other things I want you to do tonight. I want you to underline the words astonished and afraid in verse 32. Alright, everyone find those words, amazed is another word that they might use besides astonished. But astonished and afraid. The disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. And here's why I think these words are important to our story and to the scene. The disciples were astonished, and the people following were afraid. But not for Jesus, for themselves. See, Jerusalem was the last place Jesus and his followers were anywhere near welcomed. And even though at this point the disciples didn't fully understand what was going to happen, they knew the danger of entering the city and the arrival that would wait them. See, religious leaders in Jerusalem didn't like Jesus. And that was actually the kind way of saying it. This wasn't a good plan. And this really explains why the disciples were astonished. That they were still en route to Jerusalem and afraid. Only because they were concerned about themselves. And then Jesus reveals his plan and reminds them for the third time in this gospel that he is going to die. And this actually might be a good place for you to write in your Bibles... Did they not understand? Like, the disciples missed it a little bit. Not the first or the second time, but this is the third time that Jesus has said, I'm going to die. And they still miss it. So in the first few verses, after Jesus lays it all out for the disciples in predicting his death, we then roll up to the tipping point. Of these 13 verses. So feedback. What was the question that Jesus asked the disciples? What do you want me to do do for you? So cue James and John. Who approach Jesus. And say in verse 35 and 36. Teacher. They said. We want you to do for us. Whatever we ask. A statement. And Jesus says. What do you want me to do for you? A question. And I want you to circle this or underline it or highlight it, whatever you want to do, because this is the really big question of the whole night. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. And it says that James and John replied, Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. And after you read this, was anyone just peeved at James and John? (laughs) Because I was. (laughs) I mean, Jesus just spoke about his death, sharing his vibes and feels with them for the third time, and they didn't even ask Jesus if they could be with him in heaven. They told him. And then, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And We want to sit in your glory without ever asking how Jesus felt. See, James and John were more concerned about competing for their spot in heaven and their own greatness than what Jesus was trying to reveal to them in the previous verses. There was no empathy, no understanding, and no clue of what Jesus was trying to say to them that he would die. And I imagine this is kind of like the point when like a friend or like a roommate comes home and they're like, I've got three weeks left in town and let's do this and let's do that. And you just said, hmm, no. I mean, you like kind of see like the weight and the excitement around like what is happening, maybe the friend's request, right? Kind of similar to what Jesus is saying, like I'm gonna die for you. Like this is what you're actually looking for. And the disciples are hmm, okay, I don't really get it. I don't know if anyone remembers last week when Jen John talked to us about when Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? A couple of you? You remember that? Okay. And if you do, you probably remember that Peter is the one who answers that Jesus is the Messiah, the first one to get the gospel. And then Peter begins to think that he can dictate what being a disciple meant for Jesus. And everyone was mad at Peter because he was only worried about himself and controlling Jesus. But I actually feel like James and John are doing the same things two chapters later. That they were only worrying about themselves, telling Jesus, not to only do whatever they asked, but they boldly requested a spot with Jesus in heaven, sitting on his throne. But Jesus goes on in verse 38 and says, You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink, or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And they replied, Yes, we can. And I'm assuming that this boldness came from James and John not really understanding what Jesus meant by having them drink of this cup and to endure the same baptism as him. And at the point, it kind of reminds me of, does anyone remember the first time they parallel parked? <laughs> okay. Exactly like this, right? So your parents are kind of like, can you do it? And you're like, yes, I can. I am bold. I can get in between these two cones. And then kind of say are you sure though do you really want me to do that do you really know what you're asking of me and I feel like that's kind of this picture right now that the disciples say yeah I can do it but not really knowing what's being asked of them when they talk about drinking of the cup and baptizing in the same way so here we are at the end of verse 39 where Jesus has just recapped the journey to come, and we find ourselves cornered with this question that I want to bring us back to tonight. What do you want me to do for you? And after reading this part in Mark 10, I was more concerned about what everyone thought Jesus meant by this question, rather than understanding Jesus' real reason why he would even ask So every couple of weeks, a group of my people, um, my friends, I would say my trusted humans, get together for an event called Supper Club. Yes. One of them in the back. So Supper Club, the time where we all get together and share a meal, usually consisting of a large bowl of queso at Carlos and talk about politics, religion, Jesus, marriage, and a lot more. So last week... At Supper Club, I shared what I had been learning about Mark and told my friends how I had noticed our neediness, our wants, and our desires, and how we wanted them to be met in these verses in Mark. And I admitted at this time at Supper Club that when I first read this story, that I missed the question, what do you want me to do for you? And I was like, sign me up, I'll teach on that one. Totally missed it when I read it the first time. (laughs) Still let me come. Thanks, guys. But as I shared this with my friends, I realized that they too missed the question amongst the verses in this passage. So we had some more conversation. And finally, I turned to Alex Reese, who had been quiet for most of our conversation. And she said, Yeah you're talking about it's all good it is but it can be really easy to make this whole teaching story and whatever about us when in reality the reason why Jesus asks this question is to reflect who he is and to share more of himself with his followers and his friends so Alex drops just like Mike dropped wisdom. And if you can imagine me like sinking in the Carlos booth, it was me. And I shrunk in this booth at this point because I realized I was James and I was John and I was Peter trying to figure out what I can do for Jesus rather than seeing who he is and what he did for us. Why is it That when you and I read this question, we don't immediately reflect on who Jesus is, rather than what we want. In 13 verses, one question, and in Jesus' response, I realized I wanted this question to be about us. For it to be about you and me. To learn more about what we think Jesus should do for us so I could think of the top three ways to strategically ask Jesus for things without sounding like James or John and as selfish as they were. I wanted to understand what you and I should expect of Jesus when we get called into this thing called a relationship. What do you want me to do for you? Is Jesus' His response pushing us to understand our selfishness in the middle of his selflessness. You know, Jesus didn't ask this question because he was looking for an evaluation or was keeping score with the disciples. And he really wasn't asking this question because he didn't already know the answer. He was asking the question because he already knew what was in the hearts of James and John. And he asked the question, So the disciples would understand what he was going to do for them. So at the end of this passage, Jesus again called the disciples together to tell them about the life that will be lost for them and for many. So if you still have your Bibles out, we're going to be in verses 43 through 45 here. And it says, Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Countless times, Jesus shows his love for us in the way that he tells his followers to live, like he did in the last few verses. So if you still have your pens out, I want you to underline at the end of 43, be your servant. And then, at the end of 44, underline slave of all. And finally, right before the end of 45, it says, give his life. You see, Jesus wasn't just talking about lowering himself to be a servant, to become great, like the disciples thought, but to do what he said he would to become the least, to endure a painful beating, to be mocked, and to carry a cross up a hill and to be nailed to it. And my friends, this is the gospel. That Jesus laid down his life and became a man, a human, who talked and walked and shared and served and died for us. That's what he said he would do. So tonight, the question for you isn't, what do you want Jesus to do for you? But as we approach Easter and really reflect on what Jesus did for us, the question we need to ask ourselves is, what can I do for Jesus? So, in our last few minutes of reflection, I, I want to sit in silence, which I know that you all love. Me too. Because silence does speak. And when we listen, I believe that God moves in that. We're going to sit in silence like they did the days following Jesus' death. And I want to give you a chance to respond to who Jesus is and what he did for you in his death and resurrection. And for you to ask, Jesus, what can I do for you? Jesus our time here tonight God I pray that we opened our hearts to what you wanted us to hear refreshed our minds in a new way God and I pray that as we approach this next holy week that we would be reminded of what you already did for us and what that means to us each and every day God In your heavenly name, we pray. Amen.